So Jericho is um, just, uh, I guess directionally, it's between the uh, Jordan River and Jerusalem. So you're going to be ascending up to Jerusalem from Jericho. And this is really the last, um, the last narratives before Jesus enters into Jerusalem. Um, Mark's gospel actually ends um, the trip to Jerusalem with the healing of the blind man. But uh, Jesus, or, but Luke gives us an extra story here, which I think uh, is really um, kind of a wonderful bookend to last week's text. So let's do the word of God that comes to us from chapter 19, beginning with verse 1. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not. On account of the crowd, because he was small of stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was to pass this way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down. For I must stay at your house today. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they murmured, He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of anything, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. May God bless the hearing and reading of his holy word. Let us pray. Lord, open up our eyes and our hearts that we too may say yes to you as you come to us through your word proclaimed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. My great-uncle Charlie was my maternal grandfather's oldest brother. He moved from West Virginia in, I think, the 30s to western Pennsylvania uh, where he worked in the steel factories until he retired, and, and uh, he didn't live long after he retired. He uh, got emphysema from his work and died shortly thereafter. And even though he moved to western Pennsylvania, his love for the woods and wilderness remained with him. And so sometime, I think this story takes place in the 50s, he and his wife went camping in Potter County. Any of you know Potter County? Northern part of, of uh, Northern County that borders New York and Pennsylvania. It's still very much wilderness. Uh, I've, I've been hiking there uh, as, a, as a teenager. It's beautiful up there. any rate, because I think my great uncle had grown up in the woods and hills, I think he had a, um, an inflated sense of confidence because he got lost. And he and his wife roamed through the wilderness of Potter County for a couple days. Okay. <laughs> so they finally came up on a logging camp. And they approached, uh, they approached the, uh, one of the workers. And he looked at this kind of haggard-looking couple. And he said, are you guys lost? And my uncle said, no, we just don't know where we are. <laughs> <laughs> To which the logger said, 
I don't know about you, but where we come from, that's lost. <laughs> right. Yes, yes would have been easier, right? Just saying yes. My youngest son's team lost a heartbreaker in the state semifinal as a senior. And so he and three of his senior buddies are sitting around my dinner table, all heartbroken. And, you know, how do you, how do you comfort people like that? How do you comfort folks at that moment? You don't. But I said, can I fix you something to eat? And they proceeded to eat everything possibly I had in my house after that, right? Yes can come in lots of ways. Will you marry me? That's a great yes, right? Um, one of my favorite books over the last 30 years is Cold Mountain. The movie was okay. The book is amazing. I think the book's absolutely amazing. The prose is beautiful. And there's this penultimate scene in the book where Inman, who has been going on his own uh, odyssey, if you would, a broken man from the Civil War, from a hospital all the way back to Cold Mountain in Western North Carolina. And he finally comes back to the woman he's been hoping to find after years being away from her. And he sees Ada, but he suddenly realizes that he's no longer he, the man he was. He's just a shadow of a human being. And after going all this journey, he turned to walk away. And she had a gun on him. She didn't recognize him. But as he turned, there was something about that that she recognized. And her yes to him was the most amazing thing that he could ever dream of. Last week, the disciples and a sincere young man said no to Jesus. But this week, what about yes? I wrote that. I can't remember if it was a kid or a grandchild, probably all of them, right? You say no, and they go, well, what about yes? <laughs> what about yes? Today, we have two kinds of yeses in our stories. The first story that Paula read is right after Jesus has said for the third time that he's going to be crucified. He tells the disciples three times, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to be crucified, but I will raise from the dead. And the disciples really want no parts of that, that message, right? Matter of fact, in Mark's gospel, it, in, and Luke edits it out, okay? Luke has an interesting way of editing some things that, uh, that do not make the disciples look very good. Right after Jesus tells them that he's going to Jerusalem to die, James and John asked that they could be on the right and left. When you come into your glory, can we be number two and number three? And then the disciples start arguing about who should be in the rightful places. And this whole discussion begins with Jesus asking, what would you like me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Disciples said, we want to be in charge with you. And Jesus says, I can't do that for you. That's not mine to give. And it tells us in verse 34, but they understood nothing about all these things. In fact, what he said was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. But then Jesus comes to this blind man, and Jesus asks him the same question. 
What do you want me to do for you? And his prayer is answered. Now, can we ask God for things that we need or think we need? Of course we can. Does God answer all such prayers in the affirmative? Of course he doesn't, right? Um, there's a country song, right? Thank God for unanswered prayers. I don't remember who did that song. Now, sometimes we ask for things that ultimately are not in our best interest. So God's not going to give us things that are bad for us. We may go ahead and try to take them ourselves, but God's not going to do this. But sometimes they may be really legitimate. Please let my kid come home safe from the war. Or Lord, this is a young mother. She's a doctor who gives so much back to the world. She is such a vibrant leader in this congregation. Her husband just got his dream job. The brain tumor needs to be healed. Then after that prayer, Lord, help the bone marrow transplant to work. Then after that, Lord, the tumor can't possibly come back. And then, oh Lord, what possibly do you expect me to say at this funeral? Because frankly, I'm not very excited to be working for you right now. I don't believe in letting God off the hook. But we need to recognize that for every one person Jesus healed on his way to Jerusalem, there were scores that he didn't have time to see. And I've said this before. Everyone Jesus healed eventually died. Even Lazarus, he rose from the dead. Lazarus eventually will die again. So there are some prayers that are temporarily, are temporary solutions. But if we truly seek faith and insight into God, and that's really what the whole metaphor of receiving sight is in many of the Gospels. If we ask that we may see, if we ask that we may understand and love God more, that prayer is always answered in the affirmative. Asking for faith, for insight. Asking for God to be with us is always answered because God has never left you, <laughs> right? And sometimes going through the motion of prayer reminds us of that or helps us to find it. Then we come to the second story. Now, I am very thankful because for the last 40 years, I've had the perfect image for Zacchaeus. Danny DeVito. <laughs> I hope Danny, long may Danny DeVito live. <laughs> may he keep living until I retire. Um, no, I'm kidding about it. I hope he keeps living. But there. All right, because when I think of Zacchaeus, I see Danny DeVito. Whether it's Louis De Palma from Taxi or Frank Reynolds from Always Sunny in Philadelphia and all those movies in between. Zacchaeus is a little guy, all right? And not only is he little in stature, but he was thought of very lowly in the community. He was a tax collector. And if you remember, those folks were kicked out of the synagogue. They were basically, by de fact, working for the Roman government. And they got their income by how much they, extra they charged. So corruption was built into the system. 
And so Jesus was coming to town. Zacchaeus hears about it. Zacchaeus wants to see him. Why does Zacchaeus want to see Jesus? I don't know. But he knows that if he comes to the parade route, everyone's going to elbow him out of the way. First of all, even if he gets there first, they're going to push him back. Because they can't control what he does in the tax booth, but he sh they sure can treat him as poorly as possible when they see him in the streets. And maybe he was embarrassed. He didn't want people to know that he was interested in Jesus. So he climbs up a sycamore tree. He's kind of hiding in this tree. Well, I picture Jesus walking, walking down the road. I picture Jesus stopping and just looking up. And, of course, when Jesus looks up, like, you all just follow my eyes, right? He, everybody looks up. And I think everyone starts laughing. I think Jesus was the first one. I think Jesus, I, this is a funny scene. I think Jesus had a sense of humor. And people were laughing, and, and you know, maybe kids were getting ready to throw a rock up at him because he's, you know, that'd be a good target up there. And then Jesus just ruins everything by saying this. Zacchaeus, come on down. Come on down, Danny DeVito. Uh, for I'm coming to your house today. And suddenly, the kids have the rocks. People are laughing. And, and, and suddenly, instead of looking at Zacchaeus, they're looking at Jesus, and they're thinking about throwing the rock at him. What do you, what do you mean you're going to his house? If everyone's house in this town, you're going to that crooked little thief's house? Instead of going to the poor, you're going to this rich guy's house? Now, the disciples are confused. The disciples are really confused because they just let go a really good, rich, young ruler. And now Jesus is going to slimy Danny DeVito's house for lunch. And, and, and so not only are the people upset, but the the disciples are totally, totally discombobulated from the whole thing. And they're at the house, and then Zacchaeus says this, Lord, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have done anything wrong, if I've cheated anybody, I will pay them back four times. Now, where did that number come from? Where did that math calculation come from? Did Jesus tell him what he had to do? No, he didn't. That came from Zacchaeus' heart. See, the rich young ruler was earnest, but he had come calculating. What must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? Now, that could be just a very open, how do I inherit, you know, a life to come? That could be a very, um, that's Luke's version of the Jewish question. How do I live forever? How do I become part of God's family? But it also could be a little bit of a calculation, right? Okay, I know I've done a really good job so far. I think like I'm really close. So Jesus, what else do I need to do? And I think he had his checkbook out. I'm willing to make a really nice donation to the cause. 
You don't even have to put a plaque up. Well, if you want to put a plaque, that's okay. But don't, you don't really need a plaque for me. I want to be anonymous. Well, you know, you let people know. But I really want to be anonymous, right? Okay. Now, we don't know. I'm, I'm trying to pose this motivation. Zacchaeus did not come that day in order to change his tax bracket. <laughs> By the end of the day, his income had significantly been reduced. But that's not why he came to Jesus. I think he came to Jesus because he needed to come to Jesus. And he said yes to Jesus without any concerns about the preconditions. Jesus will come to your home if he's invited. See, Lent is a metaphorical journey with Jesus. It's, it's about following God. It's about the desire to know and, and grow in God. It's about what do we need to get rid of that keeps us from truly living? Is it sin? Is it bitterness? Is it a bad attitude? Do we have to let go of the tyranny of having our own way? Is it shame? Is it guilt? Is it pride? But the ultimate destination is not Jerusalem, but the ultimate destination is making room in our heart for God to be a bigger part of it, right? We don't need more of God, <laughs> right? Because God is all, but God needs more of us, right? Yeah, God is, God is the same, right? God's love is God's love. It's always there for us, whether or not we recognize it or, or not. But when we say yes to it, we open up all kinds of possibility. There was a great book, and, and it was reprinted thousands of times, or hundreds of times. It's called Christ, My Heart, Christ Home. It was something that was put out, I think, in the 70s and 80s. And it talks about, you know, your house. It uses the metaphor of house for the different parts of your life. It actually was inspired by a 16th century work that was written by a woman, St. Teresa of Avila. Um, she's a doctor of the Catholic Church. She was a party girl, <laughs> uh, really was. She was a wild thing uh, and then had a, a serious, and she was a nun being a wild thing. So it was this, she was a young princess, rich girl, and she was in this uh, monastery, but she had a deep, deep uh, encounter with God and became one of the most important reforming movements in Spain. And this is a paraphrase of something she said. There's a secret place, a radiant sanctuary, as real as your kitchen, more real than a constructed of the purest elements, overflowing with 10,000 beautiful things, worlds within worlds, forests, rivers, velvet coverlets thrown over feather beds, fountains bubbling beneath a canopy of stars, Bountiful forests, universal libraries, a wine cellar offering intoxication so sweet you will never be sober again, a clarity so complete you will never again forget. This magnificent refuge is inside you. Enter. Shatter the darkness that shrouds the doorway. Believe the incredible truth that the beloved has chosen for his dwelling place, the core of your own being. Because that is the single most beautiful place 
and all of creation. Saying yes to God makes your heart and your life a cathedral of hope, of life. And saying yes doesn't mean you won't have really bad days. Saying yes to God doesn't mean you get the prayer you ask for. But saying yes to God means regardless of what you face, God's love and presence is with you. And as he is with you, you will be with him forever. So what about yes? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. I invite you to stand and pray, say with me the words of the Apostles' Creed.